Welcome inside the coach's room. Every week we talk to elite coaches and backroom staff about their experiences, how they develop and how they develop their players. The starting point is always game itself, then the way I want to play and how do I translate that to activities. And that brings me to my next point. What I see within the courses is that there's so much non-contextual, what I call bullshit, on the field uh, because the coach likes an exercise or an activity. So I'm going to do that exercise with my players as well. But it's just a generic exercise. It has nothing to do with a specific way of playing. In this episode, we talk to Antal Vergeer. Antal is from the Netherlands, but he has been working as a coach educator for the United States Soccer Federation for the past five years. Also, he is the assistant coach of the U15 national team of the United States. We talk about the importance of session design, principles of play, and a detailed game model. Because of the length of this conversation, we've decided to split it up into two parts. Enjoy part one of an insightful discussion with Antal Vergeer. Yes, Antal, welcome inside the coach's room. Thanks for having me. Antal, is it also the way uh, the the American coaches say it? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's most of the time it's Antal. Antal, and then and the, your last name for here? How, do, yeah, yeah, they don't they don't pronounce. They don't even G. try. They don't pronounce the G as we do, so it's more Vergier. So okay, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Antal Vergier for everybody that's not Dutch. That's how you properly say it. There you go. Okay. Well, a big welcome again. It's eight thirty for you in the morning, or almost nine. It's the afternoon because. Um, you are based in the USA. Where, where are you based? Uh, Kansas City. Okay. Enjoying it there? Yeah. It feels a bit like the Netherlands. It's very flat, and uh, <laughs> but more space. Windy. Okay. <laughs> and more space. More space. So, okay. Yeah. Great. No, yeah, before we hit record, you said, yeah, I'm living here for five years. Life is pretty good. And um, uh, then I asked you, okay, what are you a coach or a coach educator? Pretty interesting because yeah. you've always been in in between or in both roles. Yes, in both roles. And when I worked with the Dutch Federation, the KNVB, I was in both roles. Um, when I went to Utrecht, just a coach, but also supporting other coaches within the academy. So yeah, basically both roles. So my entire life, I played both roles so coach educator and coach um yeah the question do i feel more as a coach or a coach educator in the end i feel more a coach because um there's no coach education without coaching so um coach i need to be coaching. yeah so coaching is always the starting point or the game is the starting point but coaching the game is the starting point and um yeah i just love to support other coaches in their journey to become a better coach so but i still feel more as a coach and a coach educator what what so let's take coaching in general on whether it's players or, or coaches what do you like the most or what does it yeah what, what gives you the most energy in coaching 
the interaction with human beings and working on it. So the other day, somebody asked me, so what do you enjoy of being a coach? Um, is, is it more the games on Saturday and getting the results or is it more the process of getting to the games and then hopefully you get a result? I'm more of the process. I enjoy the training week way more than the actual game on Saturday or Sunday um, because you have less control over what happens during the game and you have way more time to work on the process and to prepare your players to um, yeah, perform during the game. So, of course, I like watching the games, of course, but the process of getting to the games for me is way more interesting and way more enjoyable than the actual game. Between the lines, you said, yeah, there's more control during the week. Is that important also, having control? Um, yeah, because I like to have influence on the process. And that doesn't mean that I decide how the process always goes. And I really believe that players have a, are a part of that process and, and they need to have autonomy in that situation. But I love being or orchestrating that process throughout the week. Um, yeah, so I can have control over what we do and how we do it. But I also have control over how I can involve and in, influence the players within that process. Yeah, so on Saturday, other some other group of 11 players and a coach trying trying to disrupt your control literally like that yeah. somebody said uh was it around a game or something yeah yeah during the week you tr you create a plan and then literally uh, 11 people come to destroy your plan or something or to do everything that works against your plan exactly yeah. and that's the beauty of it right yeah well i have to say i really enjoyed the games uh well, I'm a process guy, but yeah, I have to be fair. I've said it a couple of times. I also like winning. That's, I think, why <laughs> I, I uh, connected well with senior teams. So somebody's disrupting your process and then trying to find the solution on that disruption and disrupt their plan at the same time, which also, yeah, it, battling. Maybe that's the right word that was uh, that I was really enjoying as well. Yeah, it's sort of a game of chess, right? They then take a move, you take a counter move, and yeah. Yeah, and then we as coaches think that we still can influence everything, but we only have maybe 10% influence and the rest is up to, to, to everybody else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Okay, uh, behind you, I see um, a big uh, a logo of, of the USA, the, of the Federation. And there's a word, the word says coaching, or what does it say? It says coaching, coaching yeah, education. There's more, there's more. Uh, yeah, I thought so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what is this? Is your office or your... your, your yeah, I'm sitting in my office right now. So we have um, multiple offices. So our main office in Chicago, um, where the majority of our um, people are working. And we have a building here in Kansas City, which is devoted to coaching education. So we have our own building with our own classrooms, with our own fields, with our own pitch lab, so we can record everything that's going on here. Uh, so it's a yeah, state-of-the-art facility um, where we run courses through. Okay. And then a coach's room just got got into me. Is that a room where you coach coaches, or is that a room where you prepare the sessions with your players? Or is it both? Well, it's, it's, it's more where I coach coaches. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. So the coach's room is where you coach coaches. And what's then the most important... I don't know, item or feeling or whatever. What's the most important in that room? 
well, there's so many things that are important. Um, um, but there's one thing that um, throughout the years that I'm now uh, educating here is that there's a huge lack of or maybe it's more undervalued how you prepare your sessions as a coach. And, and there are a couple of things here in the U.S. you need to know, is that, which is different from the Netherlands, for example, is that a lot of coaches coach multiple teams at the same time. Okay. Um, as you know, in the Netherlands, coaching is you do it next to your regular job. Yeah. Un unless you're in the professional game, but the professional game has also had limited coaches who are actually full-time professional in the game. And here in the U.S., you can actually have a full-time job coaching. Um, but the consequence of that is that you coach sometimes four or five teams at the same time. Yeah, and then you mean you don't have to work on a professional level. You can, let's say, have four or five rec teams or recreational teams, and then you can have make a living of that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's not necessarily that you work within a professional academy, for example, or a professional club. It could be just an amateur club, but because of uh, you have so much... You team, are still a professional because you get paid. Yes, yeah. yeah. That's the main difference between Europe, Netherlands, and, uh, and, and America is that you get paid really well to coach a lot of what we consider just amateur teams, um, yeah. youth teams. So, that, but the con context, because also players, parents pay a lot more compared to other countries, three, four thousand euros per, per, per kid per season or? Yeah, it depends a bit on the level you play. So there are multiple levels. It's not a clear hierarchy of pyramids like we used to. Um, so it's, there are multiple leagues playing next to each other. Uh, so they're not just in one pyramid. It's just sure. they work in silos and the higher the level, more travel is involved. More travel means more costs. More costs means players need to pay more money to be part of that. And in a way, that's logical. Um, yeah, because if you need to travel a bit more, um, and travel is not an hour by car. No, travel could be eight hours, and you take a plane to get and play a game. So for me, that was mind blowing when I came here that youth players actually travel by plane to play a game. Wow. Um, yeah. Somewhere else in the country, um, but this is how the the country is organized. It's so huge and it's so so spread out that sometimes that is uh, it is what it is. You cannot do that differently. But yeah, that means a lot of costs are involved, and that means a lot of parents players need to pay quite a lot of money to to play. And when I was a kid, I think my parents had to pay maybe fifty bucks for an entire season, and then I had one or two training sessions and a game every Saturday. And my son goes to a club right now, and he's he's seven years old, so he plays in a U seventeen, uh, which I'm coaching, by the way, which is really fun <laughs> to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we pay what is it, ninety dollars for a season, and a season is eight weeks. Okay. So. Yeah. So th this is the difference, and eighty and and, and then ninety ninety dollars is 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 a good number. It's uh it's yeah. pretty cheap. Yeah. So it's like around five hundred dollars per year, roughly. Yep. Okay, yeah, it's completely. Uh, and if you, you think numbers wise, okay, yeah, maybe you have fifteen players, then one team can literally have a revenue of fifty, sixty thousand euros or dollars a year. So, it, but it, there's a lot more organizing, and that's why coaches are more professional. Okay, so you have a coach. He has three, four teams to take care of, so uh, he's he's running back and forth throughout the week. 
and then you say, okay, uh, preparing or, or thinking about, even thinking about your sessions, evaluating maybe as well, is the biggest challenge. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not only because of the back-to-back -back sessions and I just need to run from one training session to another training session. It's also the lack of uh, understanding that um, if I want to play in a certain way, then my training sessions are unique to that certain way. So I cannot just copy-paste what other coaches are doing, um, which is really easy to do. I just Google and then I find another training session Diego Simeone invented for his team and I really like it and I'm just going to copy-paste it for my U12 team as well. Uh, no, that doesn't work because um, if you have a unique way of playing, a unique style of play with a unique game model attached to it, then yeah, your activities, your exercises, your training sessions need to be designed based on that. And uh, and that takes me to my next point is that not a lot of clubs have a clear understanding in how they want to play, what their style of play is, and, and how that is attached to a specific game model. So if if you don't have that, then all your activities are always based on developing plays in a very generic way um, because you're not focusing on a specific way, uh, which of course would be way more beneficial because then players also have a good understanding in in, in creating context in, in, in what they are actually learning. And so those two things um, basically lead to lack of proper training session planning which leads to less effective learning during training sessions. Yeah. Coaches, sorry for the interruption. Besides the coaches room, I run another company called Football Tours. This is a full service touring company and we organize pre-season and winter training camps for professional football teams. We do this for both senior and youth teams and we take care of everything. Hotel, training accommodation, friendly matches, whatever you need. We give youth teams the opportunity to train at the best youth academies of the Netherlands. Academies like PSV, Feyenoord, AZ Alkmaar and the KNVB. You can train there with your team. So, if you are a professional coach need to organize your training camp or if you have a youth team and you want to train at the best facilities in the best academies of the Netherlands go to footballtours.com and now pay attention tours is with a z so footballtours with a z.com clubs in almost every european country have a rich history uh, they have a village or a small village or a big village which has a city center which is probably has one football club so everybody went to that club for maybe a hundred years so there's a culture and there's a history and there's an identity yep. and football in the USA is maybe new, relatively new maybe, uh, it's more scattered out, there's maybe not one building or not one facility so there's less identity so there's also less, less of a common feeling well, that's my first assumption, but maybe you can, you can share. In a way, in a way, that's true. Um, I played in a when I started as four year olds. I played. I lived in a village with thousand people. Where? And in Austerlitz, next to ah, Zeist. Yeah, 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 sure. And um, yeah, so and and that was you know I grew up. I went there. I played with my friends, and I 
play there all my way to 26 and um yeah because it was part of my identity as well right it's part of the culture and here it's different so players here are not necessarily playing for their club they're playing for their coach and they literally say hey i play for this coach instead of i play for this club i've never played for my coach me neither no i play for myself for the club and for my friends but i didn't play for my coach so uh, the culture here is more that teams, players are connected to their coach. So it could happen that one coach gets into an argument with the club and decides, thank you, but I'm leaving. I'm going to the neighbor club. And he brings his entire team with him to the other club. Well, in the Netherlands, that is not happening. If the coach stops, everybody says goodbye, coach, but oh, the players yeah. stay. We'll be right? due so, next year. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in that regards, there's no connection with the clubs and of course there's always the exception right um not a clear connection with the club um but it doesn't mean a club can start creating that identity creating that culture and involve people in that process and there are of course are good examples uh, of clubs that actually doing that um, and and that culture for me also entails the the connection with hey we have a clear idea of how we want to play this is who we are as a club and this is what we uh, want to see on the pitch as well. And hey, that means for all the age groups, this is how we're going to train that. Even if we talk about the rec or grassroots uh, soccer, you can still connect it to the specific way of playing uh, you envision. And um, yeah, and I think a lot of people can need help and need support in bringing that vision to life on the field. Yeah. Um. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about, think, I'm, I'm not imagining a coach coming into your classroom or your coach's room, and uh, I'm, I'm a coach. I know how to prepare, and then you're going to ask him, okay, but what's your ph- philosophy? Um, what is the what is the common reaction that you get? It's m- m- most of the time, it's you know, I want to play attacking, uh, dominating, and all those things, but. Those are just words. There's no, how does that look like connected to it? And, and that is, that is what is lacking. So it's easy to say, Hey, yeah, we all, we all want to play like uh, Pep Guardiola. Okay. But what does that mean for my team specifically? And, um, yeah, so it's, it's very broad, very vague and, and it's not specified in specific behavior. So if you have a clear style of play or an idea how you want to play, Okay, how does that connect now to certain principles, main principles, sub-principles, potentially sub-sub-principles? Well, you go even further into details, um, which is not easy to do. It's really difficult to define a game model, but that is what we're trying to do specifically in our B and A courses to, to help them define a game model if that game model doesn't exist within their club at this point. Yeah, yeah very recognizable. But I also... And I don't hear it in your answer either, or your, let's say, the answer that you hear is that a lot of coaches have principles because they are the principles that are out there at this moment. They are the ones that you read about and they are the ones that, that you see, um, I don't know, uh, let's call it uh, the pressure of Liverpool was, was very hot at one point or tiki-taka football of Guardiola, whatever, and that, and then you see it influencing the coaches. Yep. But knowing why 
they want to play like that or why they enjoy it or why the club think it's very important. There was a um, Portuguese coach and I think he had the best answer ever. He said, I want to play attacking football and I want to see joy on the pitch. And he said, why? Well, because as a kid, I saw Brazil, I don't know even when, but say 78 or whatever, when they were legendary. And as a kid, that was the best thing I've ever saw. So it came from, let's say, an intrinsic joy. His joy for football came from watching that team. Yep. And so you can say whatever you want to say, but it's the most honest, primarily feeling that he has about football, what he wants to see on the pitch. And I think that's also, and I, I have to admit myself as well, I don't know how if you had it as well, but as a starting coach, you have to discover this. I didn't have it also when I just started. Yeah. And, but there, there, are, there are multiple layers to this. So, of course, you can you bring your own idea to the table, eh? what, what you like, what you prefer. Um, but it's just one piece of the puzzle because you also have... So, if you step into a specific club, there's also a culture within that club. True. Okay. Does my way of thinking and how I want to play the game aligns with that culture of the club? Could be. Great. If not, okay, where can we do concessions to make sure that we can find each other? And then you have an, a third layer is um, players in general. I can play in a certain way, but can the players play in a certain way? Is that, am I realistic to what the players are capable to do? Um, and if you transfer this back to the, to the youth game, um, yeah, the younger ages, you start with very generic principles that potentially could be transferable to any specific game model, right? So, you could say, okay, when we have the ball, we expand the field and we create an attacking team shape. Okay, there's a very broad and very generic principle, which could be applied in any specific game model later on in in uh, in, uh, in the age groups huh, when they get older and things can become more specific. Um, but if you're playing at a higher level, if you're coaching older players, um, yeah, those generic principles will not help you any further anymore so you need to define more specificity within those generic principles um, to create an actual identity in how we want to play and i think liverpool is a really good example of how they have a very broad principles the intensity for example which is their identity but is you can also consider that potentially as a, as a very broad principle yeah. I guarantee you they've defined it in very specific sub-principles to give the players as much tools as possible to execute it during the game. And, and it helps players to look at the same things. So if you look at the same things, we have a higher chance of aligning our actions to achieve the same thing as well. And, and that is the importance of the game models. It, it gives perspective uh, to the players and what is needed. And the how they do it, that is up to them. We have limited control over how they uh, utilize a player action or a soccer action in regards to what they need to do. But we can provide them a clear framework in what to do. And that's why those principles, which is part of your game model, are so important because that gives clarity for the coach and for the players to get on the same page. Yeah, clear. To go back to that coach that you just asked, okay, what's, your, what's your style of play? Then he answers. And then is it also then the then your step as a coach educator to to give them or to sh to show them the importance of a detailed game model is that 
Is it that in that case, is that the solution in the end or is it too fast? Um, well, in the B, we don't do that uh, because the majority of who steps into the B course maybe heard of a game model, okay. but have, have no clue of, okay, what, what does it mean and how does it look like? So we give a reference and a reference is something what is objective. So I use this objective reference and you can apply it in your way, in your environment. And I will apply it in my way in my environment. So I will make it subjective based on my context. Just real quick, a game model is not a common thing for a coach from the, from the United States, is it? Uh, no, no. And, and I'm not saying that you're not aware of it, but like I mentioned, there's not a lot of clubs who have actually a game model. They say something on their website as a, sure. a style of play, but that's just a sentence. It doesn't mean anything unless you bring it to life through your game model, your game idea, within the different game moments of the game and then connected to that the principles. And and that is uh, what a lot of coaches never thought about or don't think about, but they really enjoy that because, hey, now we're actually talking about the game because, okay, if I want to play like this, yeah. What, what do I actually expect from my players on a broad perspective, which I can now call a principle? Okay, if I have now defined a principle, how can I make it more specific so I can develop that principle in time um, from a superficial level to a very specific level? Um, so, so that is what we do in the B is we provide them that framework that, that uh, how you come to a game model. We're not saying here is a game model. Oh, sure, sure. Um, but then within the A, yeah, we dive in way deeper and now we're actually triggering them to dive into the, okay, okay, this is your game model. Explain to me this sub principle. How does it relate to this main principle? And how do you train this sub principle? And how do you plan that over the week or over multiple weeks? So yeah, it's way more detailed in not only creating your game model, but also developing your game model. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, we were halfway and then I interrupted you. Okay, do they know what a game model is? But um, uh, so go, going back to to the model, this is where you where you, oh, this is what I want to ask. If you have the um, uh, the game model and what I was looking for while you were talking about that, I'm giving myself some time out loud here. But uh, is can you share an example on how you can you share an example within the game model to make it more clear? So, for example, uh, we are talking about principles. I assume everybody knows what a principle is. Uh, but a sub-principle or sub-sub-principle is also something, okay, we, we see it once in a while. But can you maybe share the level of detail what is needed to write or share or um, work out those sub or sub-sub-principles? Um. Yeah, I can give you a, a, a quick example. Um, within the Federation, the last year we've actually defined our style of play and game model, which in the past wasn't really clear. Um, so we, so we have a, a technical group who's working on that. And, and that's what we're using for the, the, the women's and the men's national team and the youth team. So it's a, it's a, it's an overarching game model. Uh, so an example of creating more specificity could be, um, so, for example, one of the main principles in attacking is to provide options to play forward. Again, a main principle is a very 
generic principle. Um, but then we specified it in uh, six sub principles. So basically you can see it now as a, if we're in specific game situations, this is a sub principle we can now use that helps us execute the main principle, provide options to play forward. And then a sub principles within the main principle, for example, is, is to provide vertical and diagonal passing options. It's not rocket science, right? So sometimes it's just logical thinking. Okay. If you want to play forward, what is needed to actually play forward? Okay. It's to, okay, to pro provide diagonal options or vertical options because we want to break lines. So that is an example of specifying, um, the main principle a bit more for the players because now I've introduced, Hey, find positions so we can play vertically or find positions so we can play diagonally. So I give them a tool now to look for the same things instead of leaving it up to the players in how they want to execute that main principle. I give them a little bit more specificity in how they can actually do that. And another layer is, um, is that you, for example, what we have is um, move or lose the opponent um, when you're marked. Again, no rocket science, but it gives them an understanding. Okay, if I want to create diagonal passing options, yeah, I probably need to move away from my opponent or I need to unmark uh, to provide that option to play diagonally or vertically. So what you need to do is envision Okay, if we have the ball of a certain area on the field and we want to play forward, this is our main principle. Okay, what is what is needed to actually do that? And then you come up with a couple of things that you list for yourself. And then you can start to think about, okay, what is the highest priority for me here? And can I create hierarchy in those principles? Because the hierarchy also decides when I make things, uh, when I train things and how I create order and, and, and progression in the development of those sub-principles as well. Coaches, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. You can help us with reaching more listeners. Subscribe to the podcast or rate us in your favorite podcast player. But if you really want to help us, then share a post or story on your social media, on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. If you share a post about us on social media and you tag us, I will personally make sure that you will get access to our best rated masterclass on our website. So subscribe, rate us or share a post and make sure you tag the coach. Yeah, and the, and the beauty for me of the game all is, is it's ever changing. Meaning that Every time you think about it again, you say, oh, no, I need to rephrase this to make it even more clear. Or, hey, I need to add this because this, I never thought about it, but now I see it. Oh, so this becomes now an, a new uh, sub-principle, for example. And it doesn't mean you change your entire identity, not at all. You just create a better structure in um, allowing your players to understand that specific way of playing. Clear, very clear. And what I also experiences okay you have your game model you have you think you are you know it all i have five solutions for every situation and then disrupt this disruptive team comes again okay and the solution is not there but maybe you find it on saturday and you add something extra to your game model again so it's a never like you said it's a never-ending story and the coaching is is 
you be, become better with it when you have more experience. So everything you can add. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure if you become a better coach if you have more experience, by the way. Uh, because oh, if, okay. I, if I always do the same thing uh, and I have 20 years of experience, I basically oh, have one, one year of experience. So if you don't reflect on your experience, you know, become a better coach. But if you do reflect on your experience, yes, then of course you become a better coach. Um, but uh, just to go back to your question is, there, there's for me, there's a difference between my game model, which is always there. And I can slightly modify it based on potentially a certain opponent we play. But within the game model, model, there's always a game plan slash strategy. So how I execute my game plan, sorry, my game model or how I utilize my game model against opponent A might be done through a different strategy than against opponent B. Uh, so there's always flexibility for the coach to look at, and in the youth games, you normally don't look at the opponent, uh, but in the senior sure. game, the adult game, you do. Okay, if we play team A, hey, you know what? This principle today, now we're going to use it slightly different based on our strategy against this opponent. Um, so I think you always need to have that flexibility. Otherwise, your game model becomes really rigid and then you become really predictable for your opponents as well. So you need to have flexibility, tactical flexibility within your game model without losing your identity. And that's why your main principles are so important because your main principles will always be there. That is your identity. But maybe a sub-principle might be, hey, today, just a random example. Hey, we're not going to play the vertical pass. We're looking more for diagonal passes because we know this opponent is organized like this. If we play a vertical pass, higher chance of uh, uh, losing the ball. And we know they're really, really strong in the counterattack. So we limit that. And we're looking more for the vertical, or sorry, the diagonal pass. So there could be a, a very change in nuance connected to a strategy. I completely agree. And um, what I was thinking is, let's say the first time, well, it was in the seniors that I had my game model in my, well, I had my idea about how to play. And I have to be fair, it was very rigid. Um, and it was also less flexible uh especially okay the large large principles were maybe too detailed maybe that's even if i look back at it now uh or the main principles and then what i what i got stuck in either the opponent disrupted it and i didn't have the flexibility installed in my players that they could find a solution because they were so focused on what i've said so this is what I wanted, what we want to do, or this is how I want you to play, whatever. But this is all, if I hear this, say myself, the same, this is how I want you to play, then <laughs> players will play how I say. Um, which ended up that I was, let's say, in, I did I, in some games, it worked out perfectly because it was so installed and the, the, the opponent couldn't disrupt it. Or, it didn't work at all. And this, again, this is seniors and was maybe more about winning than when you're doing, when you're coaching U14s or U3, whatever. Um, but later on, I realized if you have, have a, let's say, more general, generic, or no, general uh, uh, principles, you are much more flexible and players find the solution within the principles, even though you haven't showed it to them. Yep. And then that solution, if, like you said, if you, if you write it down and you make it, 
make it you you remember it yourself and you make the players remember it as well it becomes another tool in the toolbox Correct. so in hindsight i wish i had this conversation a little bit earlier well we all evolve so but, <laughs> but it also it also uh, states the importance of the training week and and i still see too many coaches train in a generic way non-contextual and then getting frustrated during the game because the player is not doing what the coach wants them to do. Yeah, that's on the coach, not on the players. So if we keep doing random generic activities that are not related to your way of playing, don't expect your players to be better during the games in the execution of your way of playing. And, and, and so it's always the starting point is always game itself then the way I want to play and how do I translate that to activities? And, and, and that brings me to my next point. What I see within the courses is that there's so much non-contextual, what I call bullshit on the field uh, because the coach likes an exercise or an activity because that coach experienced that exercise many years ago as a player, for example. So I'm going to do that exercise with my players as well. But it's just a generic exercise. It has nothing to do with a specific way of playing. And um, and we still keep on believing that if we do that, if we train non-contextual, we're actually helping the players to become better. But as, there's so many research out there that... Can you explain what that. you mean with the context then, in this case? So if I create an, an exercise, let's say I want to build out from the back and I have a specific principle or sub-principle I want to work on. I need to create activities that bring out that principle, that sub-principle. Um, but if I just do a generic activity and I haven't thought about how does this now connect or don't connect to that principle, we just bring in generic activity. Yeah, players will perform soccer actions, but not specifically to your specific way of playing. So coaches need to think way deeper in, okay, if this is what I'm expecting my team to do, what kind of exercise do I now need to create? We still have a lot of debate and conversations about um, unopposed activities, for example. And we can falsify that on multiple levels, but people still continue to do that and they still believe that uh, without opponents, I can create context. No, there is no context because the opponent decides what your actions need to be in regards to how we want to play. But if there's nobody who's forcing me to make a decision, yeah, how can I now develop my decision-making if I don't have to make decisions? So um, so that's what I also mean with non-contextual, right? We create activities and we think players fully understand what we mean by it and can transfer that to the complexity of the game which they can because the brain doesn't work like that. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying there is not a time and place for unopposed activities. That is always the exception to the rule, but then you have a clear purpose for it. So, for example, with the, with the U15's national team, we played a game on day one and day two. We wanted to be on the field. We also know, okay, it's a recovery day, so I cannot do a lot. So we did a walkthrough. We still felt it was better to do that than do nothing at all. So that's the exception to the rule to do a non-contextual activity 
just to get something across based on the experience of the game. Walk but through, if, is that something like, let's say 11 versus zero and just... Correct. Uh, yeah, or it's 11, 11 v 11, but the, there's no real sure. action going on. So we play the ball to the right side. Okay. This principle... It's almost tactical training, real-life yeah, yeah. tactical training on the pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside the Coach's Room. Make sure to subscribe or rate us in your favorite podcast player or share this episode on your social media and we will make sure that you will get access to the best webinar that's available on our website. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I would be happy to connect.